All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Can you see it? Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. It arms Here, like I don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down. Wow, we should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores. Don't waste all the good stuff on the off-air. Let's go. Hello, Canucks fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. My voice might sound a little bit different, not as crisp going into our nice audacity file. Instead, we're over Zoom this week because we have a round table to begin the episode. First, as always, the Canucks Conversation is presented by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. A big episode 130. It's not really a number that means anything or is a fancy number, but it's a nice round number. Finishes with a zero, so we thought we'd bring in the big guns. Satyar Shaw's here. Harmon Dial's here. And then the scrub, David Quadrelli, is here as well. Let's start with you, Quads. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Chris. It's uh, doing better than the Canucks are after last night's game, but very excited to be joined 
by these two faces for television joining us two faces for radio it's pretty pretty great absolutely excited to get these two guys on i'm surprised you're doing all right quads you've been sending some uh, questionable text messages over the last 12 hours since the canucks game ended oh yeah because i was working on a bunch of different stuff i've got too much stuff going on but that's that's stuff for we'll keep for the patreon so speaking of guys a lot of stuff going on Harmon dials joining us as well harm how you doing over there my friend uh, a little bit tired. Um, I wish the connection melt down so I didn't have to write a, a four, a, a, stay up till 4 a.m. writing a column. Uh, but uh, otherwise, uh, otherwise, pretty good. Can't complain. Absolutely. And Sat joining us as well. Sat, you must be happy you don't have to write about something like this. Yeah. Oh, dude. I mean, I didn't, uh, thankfully, I don't have to write about it, but I did have to talk on the post game show on Sports and 650 for about two and a half hours last night. And that was. Not as fun as talking about a team that's actually playing well. <laughs> so, yeah, we have that going for us. It, it was a, uh, I mean, how do we describe it? Can we swear on this podcast? Uh, we limit it a little bit. Yeah. Maybe no F-bombs. S-show. S-show. <laughs> it was an S-show. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll get you into radio mode here as we roll. But I wanted to start there a little bit because you mentioned it. I mean, that's the, the first point of contact, really, to hear from Canucks fans. I mean, Twitter is one thing, but to call into a radio station to text in, you get the instant reactions. What was the overall feel last night? Because I know, you know, Benning was starting to trend across Canada. There was a lot of talk, a lot of texts, I'm sure, in your inbox. What were your initial thoughts just kind of reading and hearing everything? Oh, a, a lot of disappointment and embarrassing was a common theme from a lot of fans. Embarrassed to forward the team, embarrassed to be a fan watching what happened. And obviously a lot of anger directed at Jim Benning. You guys saw on social media, hashtag fire Benning was taken off again and and fans are rightfully upset about how the team has performed so far. And it was usually, you know, the team gets off to a slow start and you can have, you know, a rational discussion about, okay, things have gone wrong, but hey, look, look at the markers and look at, say, the process. It hasn't been all that. Like, for instance, last year, the first couple of games in, in Edmonton and Calgary, they lost those two games, but from a process standpoint, they didn't play poorly, right? I mean, they generated chances. They actually look a bit quicker. You're like, okay, well, this looks like something to build on, even though you lost those games. And, hey, it just happens. There's really nothing to grasp at after these first six games. And when that happens, you get lots of dejection from, from the fan base. And that, that was a common theme last yeah. night. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it's almost weird because, like, one of the questions that people would probably start is, like, where do you start here, right? But, like, it's really – it really is like, where would you start? And, and Quads, I'll throw to you on this one because I know you were watching the game closely. You've been following it obviously real closely as the season goes on. Was last night just like the tipping point, do you think, for a certain certain way of looking at this team and what the goals were for them going into this season? Yeah, look, when we have some quote-unquote hardcore betting bros on Twitter like being like, okay, I'm sorry I didn't get it before. And now they're like, hashtag fire betting. It's like, whoa, okay, what's going on here? Like you're seeing a lot more – I don't know. I don't want to use the word unity because it's calling for somebody's job, which I'm not here to do, but you're just seeing so many fans just get so tired of it. And I think last night was kind of a, kind of a tipping point. And then there was also that tweet that was uh, resurfaced from Jason Botchford in 2019 that said it's February, 2021 and the Canucks playoff chances have been derailed because Edler and Chris Tanev are out with injuries. So it's Edler out with injuries and Chris Tanev light Travis Hamanick out with injuries and it's that exact scenario and it's just like you know what we probably fans probably deserve better than that yeah I think so and I think a lot of people just saw you know seeing Benning trend last night hearing some of the callers that were coming in it was you know it was one of those nights where where you just absolutely missed something like Jason Potsford's work coming out there and and harm you you've obviously been covering and, and filling into that role is a tough spot to step into for the past couple of years for yourself but 
how much do you miss a guy like Jason Botchford on a night like last night? It just feels like he would have had the perfect thing to say. Yeah, I had that exact same thought last night going through Twitter, and I was like, this moment was made for Botch, right? And that's where uh, he'd come in and be the voice of the fans, and that's why so many people were attracted to his work and, and loved him. His personality was because he was able to voice and articulate their concerns in a way, in, in such a direct way that, um, frankly, many media members aren't able to do. And uh, so no doubt in my mind, I mean, especially because so much happened. And so there's like so much to unpack. There's so many layers to the story of, of kind of what's gone on this season that like, I know for myself, as soon as the game ended, I was kind of thinking like, okay, where do, where do we even start? Like, this is, this is way beyond anything we could have expected. And of course that's where someone like Botch within like an hour would have, had like the perfect take to just encapsulate encapsulate the entire moment. So um, no doubt that um, he would have been, he would have been one that uh, Canucks Twitter would have um, kind of fallen in, in line uh, behind uh, after the, the type of performance they had uh, last night. Absolutely. And I mean, we we're saying where to start. I, I guess the spot where we probably should start is the defense core and, and Harm, I'll start with you with this one. Um, how, what, like, is it possible for the Canucks to really ice an NHL quality defense core now on Saturday with what we hear? You know, Tyler Myers, I guess, has avoided suspension from the latest that we're hearing. Jalen Chatfield looks like he won't be in the lineup, as we've kind of heard rumors about the injury as well. You know, maybe not even an NHL player right there that we're talking about, but with the fact that we're talking about missing this guy in Jalen Chatfield, I think that says a lot about the defense core that we have right now. So looking at what they're going to be able to put together for this Saturday game against the Montreal Canadiens, is there a way for them to ice an NHL quality defense core? Well, even if they do, it's, it's going to be one of the worst in, in the NHL. I mean, um, you've got essentially Quinn Hughes, um, you've got Nate Schmidt, Tyler Myers, and then there's a huge drop off. And um, even amongst those top three players that you have, Hughes, Myers and Schmidt aren't playing at their best, right? Like we've seen all the defensive mistakes that Myers has obviously had. Quinn Hughes hasn't been very good in his own end. He's been on the ice for the highest rate of expected and actual goals against. Um, and Nate Schmidt, I mean, we saw, I, I think on the whole, he's been, he's been all right considering the circumstances. And I think it will take a little bit of time for a guy like him to acclimate himself to the new system, new team, before he starts to introduce his more dynamic elements. But again, we saw him flood that pass um, last night that led to the goal against. So, even with the guys you do have, they're not playing well and they're fatigued because they've played so many minutes already. It's going to be a, a huge, a monumental ask. But look, when, when I look at this team, I, I think number one, obviously defense and depth is a huge concern. But all the concerns you have, all of them fall behind getting Elias Pettersson going, in my opinion. Because it's not that the blame should be that the majority of it should be on Pedersen. It's just that the way this team wins games, they're too reliant on Pedersen, right? It's like the formula for last season was at five on five, you hope that Pedersen's line, like their five on five goal differential was something absurd, like plus 26, right? So that top line gives you such a massive competitive advantage. The second line, you're hoping they can maybe be roughly even against top competition, and then you're just hoping that the top six advantage created by the Pedersen line outweighs 
the fact that the bottom six gets caved in. And then obviously you rely on Pedersen again on the power play. If Pedersen isn't going, and it's not just that he hasn't been good, that line has legitimately, for whatever reason, been been bad. And again, it's only six games, but for him to for that line to be not just average but below par, the team isn't going to win hockey games until that line gets going. So um, obviously, defense score is huge. The depth is a big concern. The PK. There are a number of major issues. But this team cannot make the playoffs as if Elias Pettersson is not their best player. Absolutely. And it's something that, you know, every team's going to rely on a, f- a certain amount of pieces to get them wins. I think of, you know, the St. Louis Blues, the way they relied upon their forecheck to get them a Stanley Cup. Or, you know, even looking at every team that goes to a cup final, there's always a couple things that sticks out. I think of the Washington Capitals wearing you down at five on five and then, you know, putting the dagger in your back on the power play. Sat, looking at this team right now, I'm wondering, like, if you're going to get anything out of your defense core and you want to lean on them a little bit, how much of it is on guys like Quinn Hughes and Nate Schmidt at this moment right now to have to play 25 to 28 minutes of solid hockey? I mean, this team kind of needs them at this point. Is that too much to ask for guys like that? I don't know if it's too much to ask when they're peaking. Right now, it seems to be too much to ask of anybody in this, on this team, right? And nobody's carrying their weight so far this season. And that's been a disappointing part. And to Harm's point... Uh, you know, and Hughes kind of falls into the same category as, as Pedersen, although Hughes has still been productive and he's still been providing something, right? He's struggled, struggled, struggled in his own end. He doesn't look right though, right? Right, guys? I mean, and especially being there, Harm, watching it live in person, he's not, he's not as good as on his edges like he normally is. He's not as evasive as he normally is. That tends, that leads me to believe that he's dealing with some sort of a lower body issue or something along those lines because he's just not moving the way we're accustomed to seeing. So, if he's not at his best health-wise, well, how do you expect him to play 26, 27 minutes and perform at that level? And especially when you don't, you don't have any insulation right now with the injuries on the back end, all these young guys on the back end, and also Nate Schmidt's trying to figure out what it's like to play here. And he had a very honest moment post-game last night, and he said, you know, this is not the team I remember playing against in the playoffs. Like, I know we can be, this team can be a lot better, but this is not what I was used to seeing against this opposition when I was on Vegas's team. And it's going to take some time for him to figure stuff out. He's just trying to tread water. So if he's trying to play 26, 27 minutes, and he's trying to say, be a difference maker, it's a hard position to be in. So I'm not sure what type of push you can really expect from the back end. And now you're at the point where you might see Jack Rathbone get a spin. And I like Jack Rathbone. I'm a big fan of him. And I, and I think he's going to have lots of success in the national hockey league. But it's kind of like the situation you saw Rafferty jump into last night, right? I mean, he's not built for it. He's not good defensively. He's not, you know, refined as a player yet. He may never really be an NHL player. And that was a high degree of difficulty. And he got caved in. You saw his confidence drop. And now he's all on his way back to the taxi squad again. It's asking a lot from these rookie defensemen now to just fill okay roles. I mean, fill depth roles. I mean, because you're not getting a break. Look at the way Montreal, the Montreal Canadiens forecheck. They were on the Canucks defenseman last night again, right? I mean, they're, they're trying to funnel the play over to the rookies. And as soon as they had the puck, they were on top of them. Ulevi did okay at times. But the depth just isn't there. And as soon as you lose a guy like Edler and if Hamannick isn't playing like the Hamannick of old, it's a lot to ask from Nate Schmidt and Quinn Hughes, considering they're nowhere near their peak as players yet. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you start to look at them not hitting their peak yet and you start to demand these extra minutes out of them, it's just it's putting more pressure on them. And and Quads, you've been a guy who's followed Quinn Hughes very closely throughout your career of covering the Canucks. Uh, you're obviously in the intro, even just talking about just being a Quinn Hughes reporter uh, of this show. So 
for you, what are you seeing? Because yeah, you know, Sat brought it up there. We're starting to see some of those quick turns. You know, there was even a couple times where like he just slipped up and fell down to a knee and like almost laughed it off. Almost it felt like at times watching that game. But what are your what are your viewings telling you right now about what you're seeing Quinn Hughes play with this extra pressure? I guess you could call it put on him. Well, I think Sat's bang on because if you remember in the playoffs, there were a few instances, and we found out later that Quinn was struggling with an injury. We found out after the playoff series, but. There were moments there where he wasn't great on his edges. He would fall down and he would slam his stick in frustration. He did the exact same thing Thursday night against Montreal. He fell down after trying to do something that he does normally, just turn on his edges. He fell down and he slammed his stick in frustration. To me, he has to be struggling with something. It's just a matter of what. We saw him get a maintenance day last week. I don't think that was a mistake. I don't think that was just a matter of, oh, well, you played a lot. So here, here's a day off. I think Quinn's dealing with something and, I think it's just he realizes that without him, what does this team even look like on the back end? Because with him at 50% health, I think it's still better than anybody past Schmidt and Myers. Yeah, and it's tough, and you're starting to see these minutes creep up for guys like Schmidt and Myers and having to play. You know, we saw Schmidt over 27 minutes. We saw Myers as the high guy on Wednesday night. Harm, one of the favorite things I like about a lot of your articles is you don't just give us a story. You seem to also be somewhat of a problem solver at times uh, for the Vancouver Canucks as well. What would you do to solve this problem now with the Canucks defense core if there is something hindering Hughes from playing, you know, 27 minutes like you might be forced into action? What is something that you might want to consider that maybe solve the problem on the back end right now, if anything, really? (laughs) Yeah, you're asking uh, for for a bit of a silver bullet here. Um, and I'm not sure I have it. I think, look, number one, I think is it's incumbent now on the forwards, I, I think, to be more responsible defensively. I think you at least, your your defense core might be in shambles, but you have, and I think it was J-Pad who made this point the other night, you still have your healthy top 12 forwards. And especially now with Miller back in the fold, I think they've got to take, they've got to realize that, okay, we've got a really green defense core. We, we've got a really, um, and, and among the guys that uh, are the veteran leaders, they're either banged up or, or they're fatigued. They're taking on a huge load here. We've got to help them out on a two-way front. Now that could have obviously consequences in terms of maybe you don't create as much offensively. And, and that's obviously a legitimate concern. Uh, but right now I just don't think the Canucks Canucks' forwards right now can afford to be as lackadaisical defensively uh, as they have been because this isn't just on the defense um, with respect to how permissive the Canucks have been. I think when you look at some of the goals that they've allowed, a lot of times it's the forwards turning pucks over. It's them not providing enough back pressure. It's them not rotating down in the defensive zone during in-zone defense. So I think when if you're a forward on that on this Canucks team and you see three rookie defensemen in the lineup you've got to you've got to put your work boots on defensively i think and 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 if that means maybe systemically that you're not as aggressive and maybe not as direct as you usually play then maybe that's what you have to do right and and maybe that again, maybe that has consequences offensively and you have to play more of a, a park the bus style, at least until some of your D are, are healthier and, and can actually skate and play well. Um, but I think this team as a whole, as, as a five-band unit, needs to defend better. And if it's not coming from the defenseman, it has to come from the forwards. Let yeah, me jump can... in there for one second. Sorry, sorry, guys. But Harm's completely right. And one thing I noticed last night too is as the game went on, 
Travis did instruct team, his centers to drop down lower, especially on the breakouts, be an outlet down low near your net because the defense is having a real hard time transitioning the puck out. And especially with the pressure that Montreal puts, but to harm's point, the centers aren't doing what they're supposed to do. They're turning the puck over. They're blowing the zone when they're not supposed to be. So I'm, I'm seeing a, I'm seeing the coach try to change the system a little bit and get the guys to be a bit more conservative, come back a bit more, but the players are not being disciplined in that either. And as soon as, they get a little impatient, they leave their spots. That can't happen. I do believe the coaching staff is trying to get them to play more as a five-man unit, but right now the top players are forcing things. I mean, Pedersen's forcing things when he's not supposed to. You're seeing it with even JT Miller at times, even though he has been fine. That's a big issue here. It comes completely down to discipline from the individual players. And if they don't start, to harm's point, paying attention and helping out their defensemen, it doesn't matter what the coaching staff's going to say. It's going to be in one ear and out the other. That has to change. And it's a lot of pressure on these young guys because I know they're trying to score and they're also trying to play defense at the same time. But Harm's absolutely right. you got to change the system-wise, but the players have to buy into it, and they have not so far. Yeah, I can, I can hear Louis Erickson calling on line one right now, <laughs> trying to get back in the lineup for Travis Green. Um, but to that point, and I do think that it's interesting to stick on the defense court just before we get to the lotto line a little bit. Quads, I'll get your opinion on this one because how different is it if you're not playing with five defensemen for a majority of the game? I mean, you lose Jalen Chaffield early in the first period. You lose Alex Edler. I believe it was – was it late in the first period or early in the second period of the Wednesday game? Either way, you're playing a majority with five defensemen yeah. who, you know, weren't there to be your starting six in the first place. How tough does that make it on the Canucks? And is there, you know, somewhat – of a chance for more optimism going into Saturday, potentially having six guys healthy for the game. Well, here's what I'll say about that is kind of, kind of to Satin Harmon's point when they were playing Vegas, they kind of played that system that Harmon was talking about where it was really conservative. They weren't generating much offense, but they were able to kind of weather the storm. Now, a lot of that was because of a great performance from Thatcher Demko. But again, a lot of those shots were held at distance. That's not what we're seeing right now. We're seeing a lot of, high danger scoring chances that Demko really doesn't have much of a chance on. Same goes for Holtby. Like the goaltending has been fine. I don't want to get on a tangent about the goaltenders right now, but the goaltending has been fine. And I've seen people kind of talking about like, Oh, look at Demko's save percentage. Look at Holtby's save percentage. And it's like, man, when you look at what they're facing, it's just Demko made 35 saves last night. Like that's, that's not easy to do in a national hockey league game, but he did it. And he faced, I think 42 shots total. And, I don't know. It's just, it's not easy to do, but from a defensive standpoint with the defense core, it's hard enough to go into a game with six defensemen, three of which aren't NHL regulars. Now imagine taking that down to five. So, I mean, that should answer the question pretty easily. It's just, it it makes it even harder. A hard situation becomes even harder when you lose a guy mid game like that. But I don't know if there's a reason to go into Saturday with optimism uh, only because I don't know what this defense core is going to look like. Uh, I think the only reason you should have optimism is if like these, these two gentlemen are saying is if these guys start to buy into the system. And that was, you know, that was something we've actually heard the players talk about a little bit is that buy-in and they really had it against Vegas. Everybody bought in, but that was over three games. It's a lot harder to get guys to buy in over a full course of a season. Maybe hitting rock bottom like this is kind of gives them enough of a kick in the pants that they start to buy in like that. But Man, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think the defense should be any reason for optimism. It needs to come from, like Harmon said, the defensive play of the forwards. Yeah, I think one piece of optimism that might be able to come out of this is, is a guy that I know you've covered very closely, Harm. Uh, we could see the debut of Jack Rathbone. We'll, we'll close out the defense with this. What potentially could this kid bring? Because just seeing him at training camp, 
Like there was a star quality to this kid. You could see it in practice with some of the ways that he walked the line, made passes, was just confident in his own shot on the ice with NHL players. Is that something that Canucks fans can hold on to for a little bit of optimism in the defense core maybe on Saturday? I mean, it's at this point, you almost have to lean on it as your <laughs> glimmer of optimism. But um, kind of like what Sat mentioned, we know that Rathbone is is such a mobile skater. We know that he can make that impact in transition and in zone offensive play. But, you know, when I watched him in training camp, he didn't look like a finished, polished product. He seemed to have his issues defensively. There were reads and situations where it seemed like he was still figuring out, okay, when do I pinch? When do I stay at home? Which those are important details that I think you have to nail down before you're regular in this Canuck system. And the other factor too is when you look at Rathbone's, you know, resume, he's, he hasn't played a professional hockey game yet, right? He's still really new, uh, just coming out of the NCAA and when you look at what this blue line's lost in Alex Edler, in Travis Hamanick, and even in Jalen Chatfield, those are three of your more defensively calibrated defensemen. And so you look at the construction of the blue line now, Hughes, Myers. I mean, Schmitz, Schmitz when he's at the peak of his game, he's pretty good defensively. But Hughes, Myers, Rafferty, uh, Ulevi, I mean, none of these guys are particularly great defensively. And you're adding another player in Rathbone who could have his fair share of in-zone defensive issues. So Rathbone's transition impact, I think, could be huge for, for the team, but you're going to need to shelter him, I think. And um, it's tough because in, in, an, in an ideal you know, situation, you might say, okay, if you're going to re- reorganize the deep pairings, maybe you'd throw him in more in, in sheltered minutes next to, I don't know, say Travis Hamnick, who could be a little bit more of a stay-at-home, steady defensive presence. But who's Rathbone going to play with as far as that having that defensive safety net? Because we've seen, for instance, with Tyler Myers, he's more of a mobile offensive guy. He's, we've seen that he's had his fair share of defensive difficulties too. So um, I just worry that you may be putting Rathbone in a spot kind of like with Rafferty where you're, you might be putting him in a position to fail where you're kind of throwing him into the wolves. Um, he's a really talented kid. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, it's, he's going to struggle, but um, I'm a, I'm a little bit concerned to see how it kind of all, all shakes out. Yeah. And it's interesting because you mentioned making that jump from the NCAA to professional hockey, not only professional hockey, the NHL, the best professional hockey league in the world. We saw Adam Fox do it pretty quickly, made a quick quick transition to the NHL. Then we saw Jack Rathbone transition into the Adam Fox role at Harvard. I mean, Sat, do you think that there's some sort of possibility where that happens for Jack Rathbone on Saturday? Like maybe not instantly making an impact on this team in a huge way, but maybe just see some flashes of the kid to get something going for the rest of the season. If he plays, you will see some flashes. Absolutely. You're going to see him move the puck well. You're going to see him join the rush. You'll probably see him unleash the shot of his all things that are very translatable and things that will very much excite the fan base. It is a difficult spot for him to be in though. Like the thing with Adam Fox, he kind of went into a situation, although yeah, it's not like the blue line. There's the best blue line in the world, but you still had Jacob Trouba. I mean, 
I know we can make fun of uh, Tony D'Angelo all we want, but he was a you know high caliber defenseman last year offensively on that team. That's some other guys that kind of fill fit roles, and the overall structure was you know pretty solid. He came in and and all he had to do was do the things he's good at. There was some insulation for him. There's no insulation here for Jack Rathbone coming in, so the degree of difficulty in this situation will be a lot harder than Adam Fox and. If the team decides to take more of a defensive posture, well, then you're putting him in a spot where he's going to do less of what he's good at and more of what he's not good at. And I do wonder if the Canucks might not be as defensively oriented as we were talking about because of the things we just talked about. These guys aren't good at defending in their own zone. If you're going to park the bus per se, what you need to do is defend well in your own zone. You got to know which lanes to take away. You got to tie up sticks. You got to make sure the goalie sees the puck. You got to make sure you box out guys. And you got to make sure you maintain the box in front of the goal and you stay very disciplined. Those things take experience. Those things take defensive awareness and ability. And as much as last season, guys like Oscar Fantenberg struggled moving the puck. The one thing he did well was, be good standing in his position and clearing the net and, and helping win those battles and also making sure he ties up sticks and allowing the goalie to see the puck. If you want to play team defense in your own end and park the bus in front of your goalie, you need guys that at least know how to defend in their own zone. That's a tough spot to put Jack Rathbone in. So if he comes in and plays, if the Canucks don't take a big defensive posture, then we could see him have success. But if you're asking him to essentially just play in-zone defense for the most part and maybe take a few shifts on the second unit power play or something – it's going to be hard for him to super to, to impress in a big way. I'm a big fan of his. And I think if you would have seen him come into a situation where he was sheltered, if everybody was healthy and he came in on third pair in a sheltered role, starting at home, we might see some really fun, exciting things. I'm not sure you can afford to do that in this situation. And that complicates what we should expect from him. As long as he, honestly, I think we should be super impressed if Rathbone plays and the Canucks try to play a defensive posture and he keeps his head above water. To me, that would be very impressive. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, like, looking at the potential pairings that we could see on Saturday. Like, I think of something along the lines of, you know, Yalevi with Myers. That's something where they've played together a little bit already. They've played throughout training camp together. Do you see a Hugh Schmidt pairing at that point? And then maybe do you see a third pairing that's sheltered with Rathbone and Jordy Ben? I mean, Jordy Ben's played a lot better on his right side. He's a defensive guy who might be able to help a little bit more in that end zone defending. I mean, like, there are potential for this defense core to not be – as bad as Twitter makes it sound, right? Like you're not getting great NHL level defenders at this point, but you don't have that at your, at your disposal. So you kind of just need to make the best situation happen for the Canucks. And I guess we'll move on from the defense core a little bit and go to the lotto line because Har mentioned it earlier, you know, a lot of the team's wins and losses are going to come from if you get a win or a loss from your lotto line at five on five. Quads, we'll start with you looking at the Canucks Corsi numbers right now. Sorry, the shot share numbers. We're not going to go Corsi too in depth yet, but shot share numbers, the bottom three on the Vancouver Canucks at five on five, JT Miller, Brock Besser, Elias Patterson. the bottom three on the Vancouver Canucks and shot share. What are you seeing with the lot of line or what are you not seeing from the lot of line? Not much. And I'm also not seeing them on the ice toward the end of the last game. Travis split that trio up, which I found really interesting. And I actually, you know, Chris, I don't want to hijack this, but I also want to get like these two guys thoughts on them splitting up the lines because the more and more I think about it is, okay, we've waited for the lotto line to come together. JT Miller's had two games now where he's been able to get together with them. Like what I didn't like was after the first game in Calgary, uh, when that line wasn't really clicking and people were like, Oh, is it time for Louis Erickson in the top six? Like, let me be clear, clear. Nils Hoglander's played really well. I thought he's, I think he's been underutilized. I think he's been really good. He's absolute bull getting into board battles always seems to come away with the puck. I think they need to use him more, but 
when I was watching the kind of the the conversations around the lotto line and them saying like, okay, it's time to split the lotto line after one game. Like I didn't really like that, but I think after two games where you had first change and you can dictate those matchups, I think it is time to change change things up a bit. Now, I don't know if that's uh, Pedersen with Pearson and Vertanen, like we saw last night. I, I don't think that's what I'd go with, but yeah, I mean, you're not seeing anything from the lotto line really. And I think, yeah, it is time for a change. Interesting, because I think that, you know, looking at natural stat trick after games, looking at some numbers, uh, this is probably the right time to throw to harm here. But just looking at the last two games, Elias Pettersson and JT Miller, individual expected goals of 0.0. I don't think since JT Miller and Elias Pettersson have come into the Canucks lineup, have I ever seen back-to-back games with an expected individual goals of 0.0. Is it time for some sw- somewhat of a switch, or do you think there's just not something clicking early on in the season for the lot of line harm? In normal circumstances, if this was an 82-game season and you had a runway to sort of figure things out, I may uh, I might have said, look, stick with the lotto line. It's tried and tested. They've got a history together. But at this point, you don't have the time. Uh, if, you, if you lose another couple here, you may be digging yourself too deep of a hole to where you may be already out of the playoff race before game 10 of the, game 10 of the regular season comes around. So... Um, with that sort of urgency in mind, if Pedersen isn't going and, and look, it's not just, again, it's not just that he's not producing what's concerning. Isn't necessarily the lack of production. It's the lack of chances. It's the, it's the process, right? It's not the results it's the process that is concerning because we see star players go through stretches where, um, you know, they're, they're creating a lot, but you know, they're, they're shooting, shooting percentage, maybe a little lower and, and the pucks just aren't going in, kind of like it maybe was some, sometimes for Brock Besser last year. If, if Pedersen isn't going, look, this team needs a top line that can dominate play or at least be above average for the team uh, for the team to have a chance at winning that five-on-five five battle, at least even to hold serve at five-on-five five with the presumption that maybe the power play can take you across the finish line. And so in, in that case, you may have to go, like I look at Bo Horvat, he's been probably their best forward so far this season. So do you bump Horvat up the lineup and go Horvat, Miller, Besser, kind of like we saw towards the end of last game? And then maybe you, again, as Quads mentioned, you have for uh, you have a last change because you're playing at home. So you can carefully prescribe your matchups. You could put Pedersen and Hoagland together, together um, you know, figure out who you want on the right wing. Maybe it's Jake. And use that in, as, so, as sort of a sheltered scoring line and kind of divvy things up that way where – at least you're uniting in Horvat, your best player with Brock Best has been going, right? Like that's at least a positive. JT Miller, his two-way impact hasn't been there, but we've at least seen offensive flashes from him. So I think a Horvat-Miller-Besser combination is maybe your best chance of icing a first line that can throttle the opposition. Um, and then from there, again, I think the fact that they do have uh, last uh, last change against not only Montreal, but for another three games against Ottawa is key because you can dictate the matchups now uh, and and use that uh, use a potential Pedersen Holglander combination as an offensively calibrated group to maybe feast on some of the soft underbelly of the uh, of the other teams. Although you'll have to wait for Ottawa to do that, I think because Montreal is pretty deep throughout their lineup. They don't really have a line that you look at and say, okay, we can target their bottom six. But um, I think it is time to consider trying a new combination. And it's, it's interesting because I think that looking over the past year and a half or, you know, this season and last season, however you want to call the dates of it, 
the duos that just have stuck together and worked together is Tanner Pearson and Bo Horvat. They've worked well together at 515. JT Miller and Elias Pettersson. I mean, they've played great together. We saw a little bit of rotation with Vertanen and Besser at points last year. But, Sat, now that you have Niels Huglander thrown into the mix, and we've talked about him being, you know, pretty solid, I'd say, as a top six player for the Vancouver Canucks so far, how does he kind of fit into the equation here if you were to move some things around in the top six? I do like the idea of maybe putting him and Pedersen together because I think Pedersen needs somebody to kickstart him. Isn't it amazing? Pedersen was the real play driver on that line. I know Miller's been great, but go back to even his rookie season. Pedersen's been a play driver always. He's been the main anchor in the top six so far in the season, which, which is astonishing to say. I mean, and it's not just from, you know, to Harm's point, it's not just the fact that he's not scoring and you can live with, Hey, he's generating chances. It's not going in and he still has a good two way impact. You see the effort level. He's making impact every single shift, even if he's not producing, he's dragging the team down when he's playing, which, which is just astonishing to me watching this right now. And, and like, he looks sad, right guys. Like, yeah. and I'm not trying to play, you know, a body language expert here, but he looks like he's playing with the weight of the world on his shoulders. Like he doesn't look happy. He looks sad. He looks upset. He gets frustrated really easily. Uh, he shrugged, you know, he, he lowers his shoulders really easily. He makes a turnover. You saw the play where he gave the puck away last night. And the first thing he does is like drop his shoulder and shrug and he tries to go and he falls over and he can't even catch up again. I don't know what happened to Elias Patterson. I totally think he's going to get through it. I think he's going to get, you know, I think he's going to figure out a way and he's going to go back to being the same player we've seen before. I don't know if it, this is just struggling on the ice. It just seems odd with him. So as long as Elias Pedersen is playing this way, I don't know what combination you can have in your top six because he's supposed to be your best player up front. He's supposed to be a best, one of the best players in the world. And if he doesn't even play like a okay top six player, that just throws everything into whack. You can move up Rock Besser. You can move up Bo Horvat and playing with Miller and Besser. I like that idea. I, like, I don't mind having Hoaglander play with Elias Pedersen to see if that kickstarts him. But if Pedersen doesn't start playing with more effort, with more resiliency, and play the way we're used to seeing from him, I don't care who you put there. It's just not going to happen. I mean, Professor's playing pretty good hockey for the most part right now, it looks like at least. And it's still not elevating Elias Pedersen. JT Miller come back, came back. That's not elevating Elias Pedersen either. And it was interesting that we saw Travis Green go to Goddard during a few shifts last night instead of Elias Pedersen. I don't think that was so much about let's generate offense in the top six. I think for the first time in three years, well, the third season now, Travis sent a message to Pedersen that that was unacceptable. I, we've never said this about him, right? Like last night was yeah. an effort for Pedersen that's unacceptable. Not only the turnovers, but it's also how despondent he looked afterwards. That's not what we're used to seeing from him. So I'm with you guys. Like, let's, tr- let's try things differently. Let's, let's move this guy here. Let's move that guy there. But it's not incumbent on the other players to all of a sudden kickstart Patterson. He's going to have to get his mind straight. And this is where the coaching staff has to be instrumental. And I do like that Travis, for the first time earlier this week, said, I got to talk to him. What does Travis usually say about Patterson? It's, hey, I leave that guy alone. I don't want to get in his head. If anything, you want to leave guys like that alone. They figure things out on their own. It doesn't look like he's figuring it out on his own. This is where the leadership group needs to like, you know, talk to him and figure this out. Like His confidence is taking a hit. This is just natural in the league, though. I mean, this will happen. He's a human being. He's going through probably something, and he's feeling a lack of confidence. There's pressure with a new contract. People you know, expect him to be one of the best players in the world. So there's all these things happening at the same time. But until he gets out of this, we can come up with whatever combination we want. It doesn't matter until he comes out of it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is kind of the first thing that can quickly turn this team around. I mean, Elias yeah. Pettersson can win you games single-handedly. And if mm-hmm. he can change that, it will make a change. So we're about to wrap up here, uh, let go of Harmon and Sat. But I got one final question, uh, and we'll start with you, Harm. Let's say that this staircase in front of you is 10 steps. At the top of that staircase is a massive red panic button. How many steps are you up right now? And how many are you if the Canucks lose on Saturday against the Canadians? I'd say, okay, so I'm probably at seven or eight steps up. I think I, I think if they drop this one against the Canadiens and you at least don't see the, the team trending in the right direction, I think if, if they lose, it's – I'm going to be watching for how they lose. You know, if it's the same dejected way that it was the other night, I think, I think that's it. Honestly, like, I think you're, you're at the 10th step right at the panic button. Um, you're, I, I need to see a better process from this team, right? Again, we've talked about it. It's not just the fact that they're losing games. They just look so disorganized, so dysfunctional while doing it. It's, it's how badly they're being outplayed. Um, and, and I think you're you're really close to it again because of the 56 game season and because of the fact that your blue line has so many uh, so many injuries right now. So I think you're I think you're pretty close here. I think at the very least, <clears throat> when you look at this last game against Montreal, when you look at the three next three against Ottawa, you've got to get points. I think in at least three of the four. In at least three of the four, you've got to get at least you've got to get points in at least three of the four. Because if you don't, um, I think that's it for their playoff hopes. Honestly, I, I hate to say that so early, but if if they can't if they can't at least be competitive in that final game against Montreal and then come away with two of three against Ottawa, they're going to be in, in some real trouble. I think. Yeah, but absolutely. they're better than this. But they're better than this. I want to make that clear too. Mm-hmm. What we've seen, what we've seen from them so far, the Canucks are a better team than this, right? Like they're not this bad their top players will come through Elias Pedersen will figure things out it's just a matter of have they dug themselves too deep of a hole yeah and I quads I'll get your opinion on the other side when we let the sat and harm go yeah harm, absolutely uh, or sat we'll let we'll finish off with you are you on a similar kind of path as harm is right now are you step seven step eight where are you at yeah I, you know what uh like people know, my, my panic threshold is usually pretty low like I, I don't lose you know my mind that quickly I'm close to a seven right now to many of the same things that Harm mentioned. And it's not because I don't have faith in these guys figuring it out. They absolutely will. And they, they are better than this. The problem with the 56 game season is you don't have any breaks. I mean, the Canucks don't have a two day break between games until what is it? February 8th, 9th and 10th, where they have a couple of days off. They don't have a three day break coming up until the end of next month. So there is really no time for you to catch your breath and work on your practice time and just kind of get away from things to clear your mind and get excited about playing again. The, the issue here is if you don't figure this out, it's not that you won't figure it out later. It's that you don't have enough runway to take off and actually make the playoffs. And the thing that happens, which is not quantifiable, is the lack of faith and belief. At some point, a team just gives up where they realize they can't figure it out or they lose faith in the message, they lose faith in each other. And when you lose, problems that don't exist get created. When you win, it masks problems. When you lose... There are problems that don't exist that become problems because people look to point the finger, whether it is internally, externally, and these things can snowball in a hurry. And if the Canucks don't get out of this, that's my biggest fear. It's not so much about I don't have faith in these players. It's that things just get away from you and you can't get it back into the bottle again. 
And the other thing that I kind of worry about here is there is pressure. There is internal pressure here to get things done. And if they play another embarrassing game on Saturday and the Ottawa series doesn't go well, something could give. And I'm not talking about a trade because trades are easy to make. And I'm not even talking about the head coach because he only has one year left on his contract. But pressure will mount. Management might have to pay a price. Like things can get out of hand really fast in this market. And if this team doesn't start winning games, it'll be beyond just, you know, the players struggling. I do think somebody in front office might have to pay a price as well. Jim Benning, you see how fans are reacting to it. Francesco is very attuned to what people are saying as well. And he will get frustrated at some point. And when you get beat as embarrassingly as it did on Thursday night, and if that continues the next few games, that's something that could give here. So it's not even about my panic you know, threshold internally. What's the owner's panic threshold going to be at? What step is he at, right? And these are the things here that we have to navigate and see how, how this all unfolds. I'm with Harm, though. This team is better than they've shown. They can be a lot better. I believe the young guys will figure it out and they will start carrying their load again. And is that an unfair expectation? Well, it's the reality because look at, they have over 20, a quarter of the cap space is spent on players providing next to nothing. So it does, the burden falls on the shoulders of the young players, whether it's fair or not, but they shouldn't be held culpable for it. If the team fails, you should, you should hold the person that put the roster together culpable. Don't put it on the shoulders of these young guys who haven't even earned their second contracts yet. And same thing with the head coach. The only other worry I have, usually when you start winning games after a bad spell, you usually go through a few tough losses before you turn the corner and win games again. You, you got to get back to a good process. And then once you perfect your good process, the wins start rolling around. They're not even at the stage where the process is okay yet. So even if it takes two or three games for them to figure it out, when do you start winning games again? When do you start getting on a roll again? And it's a really tough spot for Travis Green to try to navigate this. I think they're going to be okay and recover and still be a playoff team. But man, if you don't win, if you don't collect at least three wins in the next five games, like Harm mentioned, it's going to be really tough, man. It's hard to make up ground in this division. That's the thing. I think it's multiplied to, to a crazy amount just because of what you're seeing with every game being divisional play and the baseball schedule that we're seeing. It, it makes it like you have to start to win two out of threes to get these. So uh, we'll wrap it up there, guys. Uh, Quads, you and I have a lot to talk about, actually, still after this. Uh, but we will send to our sponsors real quick. Sat, Harm, appreciate you guys coming on the show here. Uh, looking forward to the next time you guys discuss a leaky D uh, on the broadcast. <laughs> Thanks, boys. Yeah, there, there is a prescription for that, I think. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> you, you must have an inside source for us, Sat. all right cheers guys see you guys cheers zephyr epic is canada's source for trading card games and sports cards they ship free anywhere in canada on orders over 50 dollars, and you can use promo code hockey season with a capital h and a capital s all one word hockey season to get five dollars off your order exclusively for canucks conversation podcast listeners be sure to join them live on twitch for epic case break openings follow them on twitter and instagram and facebook at zephyr epic z-e-p-h-y-r epic on all platforms do you ever have a long work day where you just forget to hit the liquor store on the way home and then you got no beer for your game well problem solved folks same day delivery now from the folks at parallel 49 beer that's right the p49 crew is here and available on uber eats 
All that brew directly to you with Uber Eats and Parallel 49's online store. Shop.Parallel49Brewing.com or check out more information on their Twitter and Instagram pages at Parallel49Beer. Oddshark.com is your home for sports odds, picks, betting, and futures. Speaking of futures, my big bet right now is taking Braden Holtby to win the Vesna. You've heard Chris and I talk about that if there's anybody that can get Holtby back, it's Ian Clark. So we bet, well, we, I say we, it was just me. I bet that Braden Holtby would win the Vesna. That's my big bet. Go make a play at oddshark.com. All right, short and sweet one here for our friends at Mike's Hard Lemonade, the Blue Freeze. If you haven't tried it, folks, you need to get out and try the Mike's Hard Blue Freeze. By far, my favorite alcoholic beverage on the market right now. If you're going to just enjoy a few drinks at a game or it's a Saturday night and you got a Zoom party with some of your friends, take yourself down to the BC Liquor Store which or your local liquor store, wherever you get drinks. Pick up some Mike's Hard Blue Freeze, the best tastiest drink on the market right now and thank you very much to our four sponsors two guests and you as well david quadrelli that was a lot of fun uh chatting with harm and sat obviously from the athletic and sportsnet 650 uh great chats with both those guys and they broke it down a little bit at the end there maybe sat has an inside guy for a leaky d do you need help with that quads no no i'm good on the leaky d department (laughs) the canucks need help though holy smokes chris (laughs) i'm gonna hijack this but holy smokes like we didn't get to talk too much because we wanted, you know, we, we had the two TV guys on. We've got to give them the floor, right? But I think, you know, I think it's kind of an understatement that the Canucks have played poorly. You know what I mean? And the thing is, is, you know, you and I were talking about this a bit off break, is it's not really all on the six guys that played the defense position. Like, the Canucks don't have buy-in from their forwards right now. And... They had it during the bubble. And what was so interesting to me, and when I talked to Kevin Woodley maybe three months ago and we were talking about the goaltending situation, I said, like, you know, Thatcher Demko was great. Uh, The Canucks played really good defense in front of him against Vegas. Like, yeah, they bled a lot of shots, but those were from the outside for the most part. You know, can the Canucks do it again? And can, like, they will need to for Demko to have the same level of success. And Woodley says, Probably not to that degree because it's easier to get guys to buy in for a three game span in the playoffs than it is for a full season when you're cycling opponents and everything like that. Yeah. And he was bang on, wasn't he? Because when you watch these games, that's what you're seeing. You're not seeing the forwards come back enough. You're not seeing the centers commit. You're not seeing even what Harmon was talking about. The centers come back to be another option for the outlet pass. You're just not seeing it right now from the Canucks. And it it becomes a problem for the whole team, not just, oh, well, they didn't get enough depth on defense and that's why they're struggling. Like, no, this is, this is what needs to happen. They need to play some solid team defense and it needs to happen with the players. Now, that is not in any way trying to omit this management group from what they did this offseason. Like, you and I both criticized the Troy Stetcher, letting Troy Stetcher go a lot. Same with Toffoli. And man, wouldn't it be nice to have both of those guys right about now? You know what I mean? And I don't know. I'm just, I'm looking at the team and I'm seeing that, yeah, Elias Pettersson isn't firing on all cylinders right now. Yeah, Quinn Hughes isn't having his best stretch right now. Brock Besser's playing great. Bo Horvat's playing great. But does your team really go off the two guys who are in ELCs? Like, 
that should be unacceptable. It just, it's just a fact. It's just a matter of fact, Chris is that should not be acceptable that your two best guys who are both on ELCs. If they're not firing, then you're screwed. And man, like, I'm sorry, but you look at what they have tied up in Louis Erickson and Brandon Sutter. And you know, I always say, don't cry over spilled milk, but Holy smokes. It's, it's tough. It's tough not to imagine what they'd be able to do with that cap space because boom right yeah. there you've got to foley and then some and you could even afford markstrom at that point who would mask a ton of holes and it's just i don't know it's really really interesting to me because again this was also something that woodley said like man i'm pumping this guy's tires a lot but holy smokes when when he came on the show like i said do you keep markstrom he said yeah i do because the cap space they're gonna save from not signing Markstrom isn't going to be enough to sufficiently fill the holes on defense that Markstrom masks so well. And now we're seeing the effects of that. Like, man, Woodley was bang on when he came on the show not too long ago. Yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, to a certain point, like the the years, though, on Markstrom contract still the problem, right? Like that's, that's a contract Absolutely. that can hurt you for a long time. Obviously, they're missing him. Uh, but Quads, as we finished our conversation with Sat and Harm, I asked them, uh, the the question, the rhetorical, or not really rhetorical, but a question about if you had 10 steps in front of you with a panic button on the top of that step, how many steps are you up, Quads? I'll continue this with you. Well, you know, I don't like to panic. And, you know, even me saying, like, what happened this offseason was unacceptable. I'm not really somebody that, you know, I don't, I don't ever want to call for somebody's job. And that's not what I'm trying to do here. Like, you know. I, I, I don't doubt that there might be some uncertainty amongst the fan base just from what we've seen on Twitter and maybe even ownership, who knows? But the the thing is, like, I don't I, I'm not really one to panic. You know what I mean? That's just not kinda how I am. I just I, I like to wait things out. But man, like Harmon said, in a condensed schedule, you kinda have to at a certain point, right? Like, here's the thing. If we're talking about a staircase, I'm on step seven or set no six or seven i'm not panicking too much because i think that maybe this kick in the pants will be enough to really jumpstart them and get them to have that buy-in but it's just man if, if they don't buy in soon what's gonna happen they're just gonna keep falling down 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 lower in the standings and it's not gonna be good the result is not gonna be good i'm honestly man if they don't win like at least two or three games out of this the rest of this homestand they got Ottawa coming up soon yeah their playoff chances could be almost gone completely by the time this homestand's over yeah it's like I I'll ask myself the question I think right now where I'm sitting is probably an eight or a nine and I think that going into this final four game stretch of these this home game this homestand that they have against one more game against the Canadians which people are probably going to tune into tonight after they listen to this and then playing three games against the Ottawa Senators I'm probably I'm probably sitting at a nine and I don't go to 10 until I lose two games to the Senators you know when you lose two games to the Senators or one game against the Montreal or two games sorry if you lose two out of the next four games and you don't get a point in two of those games you're hitting the panic button and I don't know what hitting the panic button means, but it wouldn't surprise me to see something shake down. Like, it really wouldn't surprise me to see something shake down in the organization. The way that this season's kind of formatted and the way that we're going to see things is you need to act quick, right? 56-game sprint. That's what everyone's been calling this season. Every single game is against a divisional opponent. This is something like we've never seen before. And I think that a lot of people didn't think that we would see this out of the Vancouver Canucks early on. But if you lose two out of three against the Senators... And you know what? The Senators aren't going to come in here and just be a team that lays over for you to beat. 
out of I just I was looking at some some stuff last night. I know it's very early in the season, but still the Canucks have played what two or three periods that were good enough for you to win games. Like two or three periods where they've been good enough to win the period out of 18 periods, that's just not good enough, right? Like that's not even close to good enough. And I think with the with the Senators coming in, like it freaks me out cuz the Canucks have the worst expected goals against per 60 at 5 on 5. 2.88 expected goals against per 60 at 5 on 5. That is the worst in the NHL. Their expected goals for right now, like controlling the goal share at 5 on 5 is 42%. That's the third last in the NHL for expected goals at 5 on 5 control. Five of the Canadian teams, the Oilers, the Flames, the Leafs, the Canadians, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but the Senators as well are in the <laughs> top 15 of the NHL for control of expected goals. So the, you're getting up against the Canadians who have a great highly, a very high rated expected goals for them. They've, they've been playing great. Like the, the, the Canadians have come out and had a great start to the season. Obviously Tyler Toffoli has just been breaking the Canucks back in games, but you're also getting the Senators who I think are sitting at like 13th for expected goals. Like they're not coming in here to lay over and say, Oh, you need to figure your stuff out here. You can play the Senators for three games and figure it out. Like the Canucks are going to have to figure it out. And the Canucks, there's like there are certain things that you can blame on them missing players, but the Canucks haven't even used the most players in this division. The Oilers have used more players. The Senators have used the same amount of players. The Leafs have used the same amount of players. The Flames and Canadians have used 18 and 19 players, so they haven't had to mix in depth too much. The Canucks have used 21 skaters. One different forward, two different defensemen. Like This is pretty much the team that we were just talking about. Like It's crazy. It's like 10 days ago. We were talking about how positive it felt for this Canucks team, how much better the defense core looked, how the lotto line is going to start clicking and be one of the best lines in the NHL. All these things that we depend on as as the Canucks to get wins, you're just not seeing it. You're not seeing any of it. All the stuff that we thought we were going to see from this team to get them wins, to fight for a playoff spot, to potentially be a team near the top of this North Division or Canadian Division, you're not seeing any of it. And that's a very unfortunate situation for the Vancouver Canucks. Not only are the expected goals bad, but Quads, listen to this one about the scoring chances against. Worst in the NHL for scoring chances against per 60 minutes. They're giving up 32 scoring chances per 60 minutes at 5-on-5. The worst in the NHL. They are giving up... They are also not only the worst in the NHL for scoring chances, they're the worst in the NHL for high-danger shot attempts against for 60 minutes. Those high-danger shots that you're putting a lot of pressure on your goaltender and Jacob Markstrom bailed you out of a lot last year, you're not getting it from Holtby and Demko right now. You're giving up 13 per 60 minutes. High-danger shot attempts from that real close area just outside the crease. You're giving up a ton of those, the worst in the NHL. And I think it has to be said... This Canucks team might be the worst, like, and this isn't even like a bad take, like a take or anything. This is literally just looking at some of the numbers, some of the analytic numbers that I understand and I believe in. The Canucks might be the worst team in the NHL at five on five through six games. Yeah, but they're better than this. And you know that. Like, I, I, I know right now, yes, things are looking dark and yes, they are not looking good. But we were just talking about it. Like, Elias Pettersson's going to figure it out. It's not like this is going to 
like he's just gonna fizzle out and never remember at what he was doing before like he's yeah. gonna figure it out the only like i get it yeah you're right you know what i'll say you're right because yeah it's a statement of fact they are probably the worst team in the nhl at five on five right now yes exactly. and special that's teams- all i'm saying i'm not saying moving into the rest of the season that yeah. looking at what the canucks have in their lineup they're going to be horrible at five on five but from what we've seen so far which is a small sample size the Canucks have been the worst team in the NHL at 5-on-5. Five five. I just think that's a statement of fact. No, you're right. Yeah, I'll give you that. You're absolutely right. I just think they're a lot better than this. Actually, I know they're a lot better than this, and I think they will turn it around. They got to do it in a hurry, though, man. They're, they are running out of time. I, I want to get your opinion a little bit because we didn't really touch on it at all uh, with Satin Harm, and this is something that you like to talk about, of course, and I didn't want to put them through your goalie rants here, but how much is it to blame on the goaltender squads right now? Minimal. Like, it's very, very minimal. Like, okay, that, that Montreal game, I counted two goals that Demko maybe wants back. The other ones, nobody's saving those. The, you know who is? Jacob Markstrom. And you know where he is? Calgary. They don't have him anymore, Chris. Jacob can Markstrom I, can is I not... Can I sneak in here with something? I found this stat last night very interesting about Jacob Markstrom and the Flames. Just, just got my heart rate going, and now you tell me to... <laughs> Well, okay, go uh, ahead. hey, listen, I'm going to add to the goaltender conversation for once instead of turning my mic off. <laughs> so these are the numbers I looked at for the Canucks on the penalty kill. Obviously, they've been struggling like crazy on the penalty kill. They're giving up some horrible scoring chances. They're giving up easy scoring chances. They're letting guys come in on breakaways left and right. But the penalty kill, like, let's look at it compared to the Canucks to what they have in Calgary and Jacob Markstrom. Jacob Markstrom currently has a 9.55 save percentage while shorthanded. A 9.55 save percentage. He is bailing the Calgary Flames out of so many situations on the penalty kill. The Flames are averaging 6 minutes per game on the penalty kill. The Canucks are averaging 8, so they're putting more work on their goaltenders and their penalty killers. But the Canucks goaltending, through 6 games on the penalty kill, an 8.13 save percentage. Which... You know, penalties, like on the penalty kill, your save percentage probably isn't going to be much above 900, right? Like, it's hard to defend on the penalty kill. It's a lot harder on the penalty kill than power than at 5-on-5. Five five. I don't need to be an expert in hockey to tell you that. But what the Flames are getting from Jacob Markstrom with that 955 save percentage, that's ridiculous. That's winning you games, winning you, like, pen- penalty kills. That's killing off penalties. That's winning you momentum during the game and getting your team back out there at 5-on-5 five five with some confidence. The goaltenders with an 8.13 save percentage, I'm not putting it on them because I think a lot of situations on the Canucks penalty kill is giving up some bad chances, right? Like, I've mentioned that. But last year we saw it from Jacob Markson bailing it out, and right now we haven't seen the Canucks goaltenders step up and bail them out yet, but it's a lot to expect them to be what Jacob Markson was last year. Exactly. Like, that's the thing is, you're not Jacob Markstrom is not a valid criticism of a goaltender. It's just not. Like, these guys, especially Holtby, has been really good. Like, Holtby bailed them out against Montreal, man. Brennan Gallagher almost scored a backhand goal buzzer beater with, like, two seconds left when the game was 5-5. Like, could you imagine if the Canucks lost that game and they don't go on to win in a shootout? That was Braden Holtby that saved it, and nobody's talking about it. Like legitimately Chris if they had uh geez I don't even know who else were the names they were targeting like you know if you were saying Thomas Grice Thomas Grice not making that save Thatcher Demko might not even make that save and he's a great goaltender like Demko's still young he's figuring it out he's learning how to deal with the pressure but he has not been bad by any stretch of the imagination and the thing is people are like oh seven goals or they point to his 
uh, his horrible save percentage. And it's just like, at that point, I don't know what to tell you because you just have to watch the games and you have to see how bad the Canucks positionally are in front of their goaltenders. They are playing abysmal team defense right now and the goaltenders are paying the price for it. And it's just, I don't know, like, you know, I, I don't want to become that guy that always defends goaltenders or whatever, but man, like, it's hard not to in this situation because I've se- I haven't seen it much, but I have seen a few people being like, well, here's Thatcher Demko's save percentage, so you tell me what the problem is. And it's just like, right. man, like, if the Canucks even went out and got Jacob Markstrom, you, like, Harmon said last night on the broadcast, you could have two Jacob Markstroms in net right now, and they wouldn't be able to save some of these shots. <laughs> like, you could go out and put Jacob Markstrom in the net right now. Yeah, he'd still mask some issues, but holy smokes, there's a lot of issues. There is no way that even Jacob Markstrom could mask this many issues. Like, the Canucks are playing objectively worse defense right now than they were last season. And to your point of the penalty kill, Markstrom having that absurd save percentage, that's exactly what he did for the Canucks last year. And now I'm starting to think that maybe that gave fans, media, everybody, some false hope about how good the Canucks penalty kill is because Jacob Markstrom was able to bail them out. And now he's not here to do it. Quadza, this seems like a typical TSN 1040 poll question. Who's to blame here? Is it is it the general manager? Is it the coach? Or is it the players at this point? I think I think it's a tough poll question because it's all of them. Right? Like, yeah, it's it's Jim Benning's fault for not going out and getting more depth. It's Jim Benning's fault for not signing Tyler Toffoli. It's Jim Benning's fault for giving out contracts that are now hindering the Canucks in their later years. Yes, those are all Jim Benning's fault. Absolutely. It's Travis Green's fault that they're not buying in. Well, no, it's not, actually. I mean, I'm going to put the least amount of blame on Travis, okay? Because... Right now, the players need to buy in because that's what they had to do in the playoffs. And I'm not going to continue, like, I'm beating a dead horse here, but really. Travis is a player's coach, so he's not going to come out and bury his players, but he did at one point after that loss against, uh, I think it was Calgary, he was just saying like, yeah, they should be embarrassed, and you know, the mood right now is starting to seem like, okay, we really got to get it going, and one person that I think they really need to look to is Bo Horvat, because I think as a captain, this is your time to shine, right? If you're Bo Horvat, this is your time to get everybody back on track, even if it's pulling Elias Pettersson aside and saying, listen, man, like, you know, everybody goes through these slumps because that's exactly what Horvat was saying in his post game. He was saying, like, I've gone through it. It sucks, but Petey's going to come out of it. Petey's a great hockey player. He's going to be better for it. Bo Horvat needs to have a conversation with Elias Pettersson, get his confidence back. That's what needs to happen. Like, a lot of it's on the players. A lot of it's on management. I'll say the least of it is on Travis Green. Because he just yeah, he think, doesn't have a yeah. team. Like, dude, sorry. Travis Green did not build this blue line like the the biggest hand that Travis Green had in building this blue line is getting Travis Hamanick like he had to push to get Travis Hamanick could you imagine if they didn't have Travis Hamanick like it'd be way worse than it is right now like they I don't know I'm not I'm not going to keep going into it but yeah that's that's my take is it's the players uh and management most of all yeah, I think we get to a certain point where, you know, us as guys who are analyzing the game, analyzing the organization, breaking it down on a podcast, writing about it, whatever it is that we're putting out in content, the way that I look at it is like there was there was definitely reason for concern after three games, right? Like after three games, you're thinking, okay, like this this isn't going great. I'm concerned. That's how I felt going into it. I wasn't panicking that early on. Then you get to six games in. And you're still at that point, if not worse. And now you're looking at your defense core that you're going to bring out. It's getting worse. When you hear the coach say that he's concerned, I think that gives us a point as us analyzing this to say that, okay, 
we're definitely concerned now. We're almost at the point of panic. That's kind of where I feel at it because we're looking at the way that this can go for the Vancouver Canucks is two directions. They can come out and look great in their next four games and go out and just play as a different team that we haven't seen at all. Or the way this team's projecting right now and the things that we're going to see out of the defense core over the next little bit with the injuries and what's going on with this team, like that seems like the road that they're probably going to go down, right? And I think at that point, panic is totally fair. Like, panic is totally fair when you start to see a team drop this many games this early on in the season that's so short at 56 games. And it's it's not the time to hit the button yet, but, like, man, you come out and you lose that game to Montreal in, in a bad look, I think yourself, my, myself, Harm, Sat, we're all standing there on the top step ready to push that panic button because it's so early in the season But these are all divisional games. Like, I don't think that's being stressed enough. Like, when we start to get into the the 40 games in mark, you're going to start to see how these standings shape out. And you're going to start to see how much these games mean. Like, Quads, you're a baseball guy. Like, think about it in the standings in baseball, how they don't have, like, a... They don't really have, like, a standings like the NHL. It's like games behind, right? Like, that's how it works with standings. I feel like that's exactly what we're going to see with this league because of this division format and how you're only playing teams in. It's going to be so much more about how many games behind you are of the team that's in fourth place. And the Canucks just can't get to a certain point where they're that many games behind, specifically because in baseball, you have a winner and a loser. If you win against a team that's above you in the standings, you gain a game on them. If you're the Canucks and you're squeaking out shootout wins... The other team's still getting a point. You're not catching up on that game. Like, you have to do a lot. You have to have... We talked about it last time on the show. You have to go out and win these series like you're in a baseball series. You have to win two out of three at home. You have to try and split on the road and win more games at home than you do. If you do that, you're in the playoffs. It's as simple as that. Like, there's not going to be one team that's going to be absolutely horrible this year. The Ottawa Senators aren't pressing a lot of people. They're beating the, the least that everyone projected to win this division. Like, there isn't going to be... You know, the brutal team in this in this division that just wins seven games throughout a 56-game season. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen with the way that this schedule is formatted, with how many times you're matching up against these teams. It's, it's, a, it's, a, like, it's almost panic time. It really is. Like, the Canucks really need to show something on Saturday. And not only just Saturday. Like, they have to show something for the next four games. The next four-game sample size, by the time we record next weekend's show... There's going to be a lot of questions that are either answered or a lot of questions that we're going to have to be asking. I think that's the way that we're looking at this team right now. This early in the season, it's not time to panic, but man, the hand has to be hovering over that button right now. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And just to further your baseball analogy, just, you know, anybody who's a Blue Jays fan like me can understand like you know you know how the blue jays are out of the race the second month into the season because the yankees are so high up and the red sox are up there and the jays have lost like six series to them each team by that point like that's what we're dealing with here like there's no time to like it's just you can be out of it in a blink of an eye and the season's shortened it's just man like we're talking 162 games in baseball we're talking 56 in hockey so Man, I don't know. Like, you, I, I think you're bang on. I think we kind of hit the nail on the head here. Not to pat ourselves on the back too much here, but I'm really excited to see what we uh, what we have to talk about at the end of this next week coming up. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be an interesting time for sure, man. We we had a couple of great inter- or not really interviews, just a roundtable today with Sat and Harm. That was a lot of fun getting them on the show. Of course, uh, I think we broke down a lot of things. And you know what? The problem is like we could go in depth about a lot of things that are going wrong for the Vancouver Canucks. 
But what if Elias Pettersson comes out, has a four-point night on Saturday, and this team blows out Montreal? It's a totally different look, and that's why I love when the season's going, you know? Like, it is yep. such a roller coaster for the Vancouver Canucks every single year that you, like, you almost have to get used to changing up the content every episode because, like, it can be, there's a lot of highs, there's going to be a lot of lows, but, man, the Canucks need a couple highs in the next few games here. Otherwise, things are going to start to get dark really quick. And, man, did you hear some of the callers uh, to Rob Fay Nation oh my God. after Thursday yeah. night? I know we were both kind of tuning in and texting each other. Shout out Rob, uh, guest of the show in the past and, and a great guy, you know, getting ambient sound at the rink. Like, who else does that? That's Rob Fay Nation for you. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to say, like, the first, I think it was, like, the first nine callers all mentioned firing Benning. Yeah. Like, how crazy is that that we're six games into a season and nine callers back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to however many backs I need to say mention Fire Benning? Like, it, this market, this market has just, I Do you think it's to the point right now where just people got to a point where they're fed up? Like, it's been a long time for Jim Benning as the Canucks GM right now. Well, clearly, yeah. Clearly, people are fed up. It's not my thing, though. That like, man, I will, I, I will hopefully never get to the point where I come out and say they need to fire this guy because it's just like, I don't know, like, I, I don't know, like it, it's tough for me to come out and say like this guy deserves to lose his job. But it's like, man, when you're seeing the fan base react like this, like unanimously, it feels like like I'm seeing so many people, like people that are so diehard, like Benning supporters, all of a sudden being like, nope, you know what? This is enough. That's embarrassing. Need to fire him. It's just like you said, like how quickly can the narrative and everything change if Elias Pettersson just comes out and lights the lamp, right? It's just, <laughs> it's just like anything you know can what's change crazy? on a dime. It's like, how many times can Elias Pettersson save Jim Benning's job? You know, like, straight up. Like, he, yeah. he has another opportunity now to save his job. He's done it almost every single time that we've seen the fire Benning trending across Twitter or Canada or ever, wherever it's trending. Like, it's always been Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes who has come out and saved Jim Benning's job. Or Travis Green has done something that saved Jim Benning's job. I just wonder if if this cat's had his ninth life at this point, you know? Like, is, is this... This could serious. This could like, yeah. I don't know. It's we're gonna have to see what happens before we really start to get into it. But this could be a very well. This is going to be a very interesting next week for the Canucks for sure. So uh, I think we'll wrap it up there. I I do have a quick prospects report. Uh, talked to Victor Parison this morning. Uh, this is Friday as we're recording this. I talked to him this morning a little bit. Uh, just asked how he was kind of feeling about playing in the hockey Etan League, which is the third division in Sweden. Um, he's ready for some harder competition, apparently, uh, according to him. I'm not gonna, you know, he's ready to to jump back into the SHL, and I know he hasn't played a minute yet, but uh, he did get a call up. He mentioned to me he's gonna be playing for Brinus on uh, Saturday, so that's exciting for him. Hopefully, he gets some time, and then. Pod Colson scoring a goal the other day. He's on a two-game point streak now, so that's great to see. And uh, I ordered an S a ska jersey. I think I told you this off uh, off recording. So I'm very excited for my ska jersey to get here. That's exciting. I'm excited to see how it turns out. What did you put on the back? You put Faber on the back, right? I put Faber on the back because I'm a fan. For I'm a fan first and and throughout for ska. You know me. I'm a big supporter of this team. And then uh, put 69 for the number because I thought that would be fun. So uh, excited for my Ska 69 Faber jersey to get here. Big support of the team. And um, we're not going to see very many games for Silly Pod Colson right now. They are on a six-day break. So a little bit of uh, slow time for Ska over there in the KHL. Uh, it's still tr- Man, I'll tell you. I told you this off-air quads. I'm going to... 
I'm going to work my ass off to get a Pod Coles in an interview. I'm working my ass off to get a Pod Coles in an interview. I'm trying so hard. You know the stuff that's been happening. He's reading my – I got him on red. You know, I'm, I've got I'm, – I'm talking to Pod Coles in, but he's not talking back. I'm, I'm writing to him in Russian. I'm writing to him in English. He's reading the messages, but he's not answering just yet. So I'm working on it hard, man, I tell you. When that happens, oh, I already – I have a tweet already in my drafts. With a video about how excited I am when I got Pod Coles and interview done, <laughs> so it's happening. You know, we it made it, we made it happen with Hugliner in the past. Pod Colson's up next. He's the big shark that I've been going for. So we'll see if we can make that happen. But he doesn't play uh, until next Wednesday, the twenty seventh of January, with their six day break that they got going on, and then it's just full on from there. And you know what? He's starting to get some more minutes, man. Like he he got a little bit of time on the power play when Timkin, who's the guy who's an assistant captain for them, went down with an injury. He's been killing penalties as a regular, so that's great to see. And you know, his minutes are starting to get up in the twelves, almost thirteen. So I think whatever happened with that uh, media storm out of Russia for a couple days there did affect what Scott's decision making has been, and they've been playing him a little bit more. So. You know, props to the the Russian media and maybe me as well and some stuff that we've seen over here uh, from Canucks Army. But I think uh, I hope that this is kind of turning the corner a little bit for Pod Coles and his situation there with Scott. So we'll continue to follow that. We'll continue to follow what's going on with this Canucks team because there's a ton to get to. Man, it's like I almost just like can't even wait to get to the next episode <laughs> of the show so we can break it down because there's going to be a lot to talk about after Montreal and then a game against Ottawa as well. And lucky for us, we have a ton of games coming up. So we'll wrap things up there. Unless you got anything else to add, Quads? Nope. Perfect. Uh, for David Quadrelli, for Satyar Shah, and uh, and Harmon Dial for joining us as well, my name is Chris Faber, and thank you very much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation.